Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. Hope you are finding some sense of purpose and happiness in this crazy world. A quick little announcement. We are going to be foregoing sponsorships, at least in the traditional sense, for the time being. And instead, sharing businesses who we believe are providing real value in the wake of COVID-19. The first being Mortar and Pestle, a Toronto-based pharmacy changing the game. Completely focused on patient care, the company's fully digital platform allows you to refill, transfer, or get a new prescription remotely without having to leave your home. So forget the lineups, wait times, and the overall hassle of getting your meds, and instead stay safe and get your prescription delivered directly to you for free. To get started, go to www.mortarpestle.ca. That's M-O-R-T-A-R-P-E-S-T-L-E. I know it's a long name. .ca. Today, we continue our series, of course, and we are narrowing in on the world of recruiting in the job market with Jay Burrard. Who is Jay? Jay is the founder and CEO of Jagger, a modern headhunting firm that works with rapidly growing companies to help them find the right people. And in this one, we are discussing who is hiring, who is not, and why, and of course, some other trends related to the job market, how companies are actually onboarding new employees, virtually, of course, and what a first day might look like, how to land a job in today's job market. We also chat about whether big ticket salary gigs are still being filled, what you can do if you've just been laid off, the future of work, and much more. So with that very long-winded intro out of the way, let's get to the show. Here is Jay Burrard. I think it would be interesting to start with your industry and obviously your industry as it relates to where the market was in February, right? We had record number of jobs. Uh, at least in Canada, created unemployment at record lows in the U.S., and that just seems like ages ago. So, in your space, which is obviously of interest to so many, um, what are you seeing in recruiting? So it's funny because, like, literally four weeks ago, we were every position was hard to fill. So whether that's like a uh, you know leadership role, whether that was a software engineer, uh, plant personnel, like every position in some capacity was hard to fill and hard to find the people for it. We literally had a labor shortage pretty much in all industries. And overnight, like it's been a, this has been a candidate driven market. And what I mean by that is, you know, candidates can kind of pick and choose. Uh, most of them are obviously employed. Um, so it's harder for employers to find the people and ultimately hire them. It's been a candidate driven market for, you know, a decade. And in the matter of a month, it is completely flipped. And now it's an employer driven market. So the employers are a little bit more in a, I guess a more powerful or more leveraged position because there's a lot more interest in the roles that they have posted. Um, and that's really flipped kind of overnight. But four weeks ago, record unemployment, you know, uh, adding a record, record amount of jobs, economies rolling, we're still on the longest bull run in the history uh, of the stock market. And, you know, I think companies were spending a lot of money, uh, whether that was on recruiting or, or whether that was on like the churn sometimes as well, because people are getting pulled out of jobs. But yeah, it's completely created some, you know, liquidity, I think, in terms of like availability of candidates. And now, like, it's only been four weeks, but I don't know, I feel like our concept of time is like distorted, because we have so much like information, 
and you know content that you know we're probably consuming right now it feels literally like a year ago this happened i guess the obvious question i think for most is who is hiring right now amidst this period of mm. extreme uncertainty well so there's the obvious ones right so like there's a lot of uh like you know, articles about like the Amazons, the Walmarts hiring, right? Warehouse workers, you know, food companies. We have some food manufacturing clients, for example, that can't keep up with the demand. Mm -hmm. And they're all, you know, all hands on deck because they're also realizing that the supply chain is pretty uh, exhausted. And so they have to have, you know, all hands on deck. So they're looking for people to on the plant floor mostly so that they can keep up with the increased demand from people stockpiling. Mm -hmm. We have companies in the tech industry that are, it's funny because tech is tech goes both ways. You have some tech companies who are laying off, you know, 50, 60, 70% of their staff because, you know, they're, they're either waiting, they're going for the next round of financing or what have you. But um, if you're in like the health tech space, for example, right now, telemedicine, prescription deliveries in the pharmaceutical space, like those kind of tech companies are, are absolutely booming. It's kind of their moment. So a lot of health tech companies are, are, are taking this as an opportunity to really build their companies. And I think like, at the end of the day, a lot of the companies that are still hiring are the ones that have like solid cash management, or maybe they just raised capital. We work in New York, we work in San Fran, we work in Toronto, Vancouver. Our food manufacturing clients, they're still hiring. The industrial side, like they've shut it down. Uh, construction is, is still on the go. Um, but I think what's actually happening is a lot of companies have taken a deep breath here and they've said, whoa, what's going on? Just like an individual person is, a company saying, hey, we need to hold off on hiring. We need to freeze this position until we get an idea of what's happening, until we get an idea of where the numbers are at. Have we, and, and until we start to see like a, a curve flattening or until we start to feel like a, you know, a peak of some sort, then I think we're going to have more confidence. And I think very quickly this can bounce back. So all of these companies that have shelved their hiring for the time being, it's really just a pause for most of them. And they will come back online as soon as they have more confidence about where they're where we are at as a whole. The longer that this goes on, though, obviously the more I think devastating will be to the economy as a whole. But I also think the more um, fear that will get created in you know the hiring strategy because they might say, "Hey, we're not going to spend any more you know of our of our cash or any more resources right now on headcount. Uh, we're just going to make do uh, to get through the next couple months or maybe till the end of the year." And let's reassess where we are from a business from then. And I think you're going to see that a lot as well. Which I assume obviously impacts your industry and your revenue as well. I think in a normal contracting business environment, we would be in a favorable position because again, you could work in different industries. But this has been a different type of change because of the, the pandemic aspect of it, right? Like there are, there are businesses out there that are recession proof, but there's businesses out there that are not pandemic proof. And, and we're finding that out you know, uh, pretty quickly. But I think for us, the big rapid change has been not only has this happened and we've gone on quarantine and I'll, I'll give you a story actually. So a month ago, around a month ago, we had a bachelor party planned and it was planned for like a year and it was in Miami and we, we, we didn't really think that we were going to change it or anything like that. So we actually went, um, but it's interesting. We got there on the Thursday and it was kind of like, you know, not, not a big deal. But by Friday, it was like, oh, this is kind of getting interesting. And by Saturday, it was like, okay, I feel uncomfortable. And by Sunday, it was like, okay, I need to get home. And on Monday, they shut everything down. Wow. And, uh, and, and it's happened so quickly and so like kind of aggressively that from coming back from the company perspective, all of these companies have shifted to work from home. So it's like, okay, pandemic happens. Oh, now we're actually going on, you know, the quarantines kind of isolation. Now we're closing work from home. What is going on? 
that hire that we had, how are we even going to onboard them onto our company? So all of these things have happened. So like the change of people's work has really shifted. And from our perspective, we're a external agency that gets engaged to help them hire. So a lot of them have just said, Hey, you know, put this on the back burner for now. So our revenue in the, in the short term has been impacted obviously by that. And we'll see what happens here because I think the, the roles, for example, the positions that we are still hiring for, they're still full steam ahead, you know, virtual interviewing, virtual onboarding, all that kind of stuff. But if this doesn't really change in the next three to four weeks, those positions will either get filled or they will be put on hold. And then you're kind of sitting there being like, okay, well now what? So companies that have moved to onboarding virtually, how quickly have they made that adjustment and what tools are they using to do that? Well, I think out of necessity, they've, they've all made the adjustment pretty quickly because if the, if the company still has the, you know, the, the head count and the hire that they want to make, they're still going to make that, that hire if their business hasn't been impacted. So they've made the move relatively quickly. Any of the, the, the most obvious tool that everyone's talking about is Zoom from an interview perspective. I think what this has done is force some adoption of technologies and force some digital transformation. That's, you know, why haven't we been doing Zoom interviews before, uh, for example? So I think like interview tools, everyone's doing video interviews. That's pretty easy from an onboarding perspective you know, they're just using a lot of their company tools that they have already. So whether they have to get them set up on payroll, all of that's done really in the cloud now. So there's all the tools that they kind of already have. And then the big thing is, you know, the, the, the first day, uh, what does an employee's first day look like in this new environment? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you roll out of bed, you are now starting a new job. What, like you have nobody around you to kind of guide you and say, you know, this is what we do. This is what we're about. So the, the, the thing that companies are really doing is making sure that someone has uh, high touch points virtually on their first day. Uh, I've seen companies sending the swag and the company, you know, welcome package directly to the, to their home. And uh, they're just spending the whole day kind of on virtual meetings just to kind of get a feel for the company. With regard to like senior executive hires or people, yep. um, let's assume big ticket hires, you know, north of six figure salaries per year. Do you think or are you still seeing people landing these gigs without ever physically meeting anyone? Mm, great question. The, I'll, I'll say the answer. The short answer is yes. I think there are still some companies and some people that have to have that face-to-face -face before they commit to such a, I guess, like a you know, senior level hire. But you know, I, I believe that you can act. Everyone always says that you, you, know, you obviously get a better feel for someone and you can assess them better as a person when you're meeting them face-to-face, -face, which is true because you can read things like energies and you can see how they interact in like that environment. But at the end of the day, I think what the questions that you want to ask and the data that you're looking for, you can always gather in a virtual fashion. So it really just depends on the comfort of the person hiring. What can people do if they've just been laid off? I believe you outlined three tips in a recent LinkedIn video. So... What do you suggest for those folks? So I think the number one thing is, you know, you just have to like, you have to accept it for what it is, right? So the, the, the first step in this whole process is like, you, you just don't be hard on yourself, you know, take it in, take the time that you need to process it so that you can then start sharing it with, you know, your loved ones or whoever you need to share that information with about your current situation. So I think number one is taking the information, don't be hard on yourself, share it with the right people and get your story out there. And I think number two is, you know, your collaterals, your, your resume, your LinkedIn, you know, even how you want to reach out to people like that has to be something that you update right away. Again, this whole virtualness and the whole 
shift in the economy. There's people out there that still don't realize how important having a LinkedIn page is or, or, or how important it is to have a really standout LinkedIn page. I think the LinkedIn page now is more powerful than the resume because the LinkedIn page is typically the first thing that people are seeing when they're looking at potential profiles. The third step that I had in that was don't just send your resume in on a job board like Indeed, LinkedIn Jobs, because like what's happening right now is job boards have always been flooded with like 80% of people, let's say, probably don't fit the criteria and probably don't get a call back from the person screening the resumes. But what's happening now is not only are you getting that, those same statistics, you're getting more people applying and more people looking for like an off-center job. So maybe I was working in marketing, but maybe I could, you know, maybe I'm applying for a role in sales or, or what have you. And it might not make sense, but that means I have to, on the other side, I have to filter through more resumes to get the conversations going. So I actually think very powerful, a very powerful technique is just to research uh, the company's either talent acquisition person, HR, or the hiring manager. And do that on LinkedIn. I think that's very powerful because it helps you filter, you know, get through the noise. Um, and and taking that active reach out approach and making sure that you follow up goes a long way in, in um, your job search. Other than updating your resume with you know a recent layoff adjustment on dates or whatever, and updating a LinkedIn page with a new headshot, what else can you suggest for folks if they want to really make their resume or their LinkedIn profile stand out? Well, it's always, it's always kind of position depending, but people love numbers. Like people love to see measurable results in, in profiles. It really stands out. So if there are certain things that you help the company with, whether that's in operational efficiencies, like you reduce the cost of goods by X percent, or you increased revenue by X percent, you want to have those numbers in there because they really stand out and they show performance. And there's a lot of profiles that just don't have that in there because, again, we, we have like a lot of generic information in our profiles, right? Like I think we can take out proficient in Microsoft Office <laughs> from our resumes now. I think that that's just not something that we need to necessarily include because that's not going to separate us, whether that means that we're not qualified or are qualified. So I think focusing on the actual data that people want to see and highlighting that. And then the other thing that I think a lot of people miss out on on the LinkedIn page is the little about me section. There's a lot of, that's a great section where you can like highlight your personality rather than just saying something that's, you know, generic or, or sometimes people put it in third person. I think that's a great opportunity to highlight like who you are, what you're about. And, you know, the way that you communicate that it might, might give some people a, an opportunity to peer into your personality. And it just might help you stand out a little bit more. Do you think that hiring managers are going to come up with unique ways to assess whether or not a potential candidate is effective or productive at working remotely? So some people will migrate back to a physical office, but a lot of teams will just stay in place and stay working remote. Um, And remote work, uh, and we talked about the acceleration of things, remote work is one of those things that's just been accelerated because of this. And I think it's going to be part of this new normal that we're talking about. So measuring how people can work remote or work from home is going to be a huge thing that I don't think hiring managers actually thought about before. How do you think about it? If I was running a company, and let's say I had an expensive office space, but I I operate under the assumption that we have to have this office space because it's the only way for us to like come together and be productive. If I realize productivity in this work from home environment, I might say to myself, wow, I can save 50,000 bucks a month on our rent. If everyone wants to work from home, that might be something that I consider doing. From a productivity perspective, as it relates to employees work, when I think about that, it's like if somebody is working from home, right? And, and how am I supposed to measure their, their, their work 
hours, right? I'm not going to set up a Zoom so I can just watch them all day. Right. But it's kind of what I can do in an office space. In a physical environment, I kind of have eyes on someone. I can always kind of see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're being as productive or not in the office environment versus virtual. So I think if the productivity doesn't change, people will start to allow a lot more working from home. Um, And I think the way that they're measuring that is, for example, if you have uh, projects that are underway, you have deadlines. If you hit those deadlines working from home, but you're doing it in like a three or four hour time block a day, and you're still hitting the deadlines that you would have hit in your office otherwise, that creates a really interesting uh, new working environment. Because maybe as the, as the actual employee, I realize I only work four hours a day when I'm really focused. But when I'm in the office, I'm working eight hours, but it's filled with maybe meetings I don't need to be attending, or it's filled with banter, or it's filled with social interaction that might actually distract me from my work. And if I can actually condense my eight-hour workday into four hours, what would I do with that other four hours? I was at a conference like three years ago. And it was, it was called, I think, Gateway North or something like that. And it was Alibaba's conference they put on um, in uh, North America. And Jack Ma was on stage with Justin Trudeau. And Jack Ma was very confident and had a lot of conviction in his voice about the future of work being, you know, three days a week and four hours per day. So 12-hour work weeks is what he believes the future of work will look like. You will still be busy. He, you know, he was very adamant about that. You know, you will still be busy, but this is what the future of work will look like. And I think that that's a very interesting concept. There, there's, there's companies in Finland this year that tried a four-day work week and they saw productivity go up because, you know, you're condensing the amount of available, available work. Like if you condense the amount of hours that you are allowed to do your work, you'll do the work in those condensed hours. If I have eight hours to do a four-hour job, I'll probably use the full eight hours. Yeah, if, if you feel natural pressure to get stuff done in less time, productivity typically goes up. You know what else I thought about with respect to remote work and this phenomenon that we're talking about is this idea of playing politics in the office. And some people are really good at it and some people aren't, mm. right? Like just dressing the part, acting the part, having an aura of confidence, being able to communicate effectively in meetings, just being well-polished politically in the workspace. If you're good at that, and now all of a sudden that's taken away from you because you know your team's working remotely, that's going to severely impact your value. And conversely, this benefits obviously folks that are natural introverts and have that ability or you know unique ability to work more productively alone or at home. This kind of setup benefits them. This is like one of those things where, you know, if somebody was progressing through a company because they were good at that political game. Um, and they were, you know, good at kind of working different personalities and all that kind of stuff. Um, right now, what you're going to see is like the work will speak for itself. So those introverts, like you mentioned, that might be, uh, maybe there's a promotion that's on the table, but maybe it was going to go to someone that's more extroverted or somebody that, you know, is always bringing the energy into the office and interacting with people in different ways, but maybe their work quality isn't as great as that other person that will be exposed here when they, when you're just looking at the pure work and the pure results. So that it'll be interesting. That's a great point. The, 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 the political or the bureaucracy stuff that goes on in, you know, companies, um, and those, you know, different personalities always around you and different energies always around you. I always wonder what that does to the overall culture mm-hmm. and does, and, and our culture's changing. Like, Obviously, the way that we work has drastically changed in the last four weeks. But will this impact the culture in a positive way, in a negative way? Only time will tell. Yep. But I think it will definitely change and, and open people's eyes to maybe some, some blind spots that they had when they're 
uh, interacting with their whole team on Zoom or whatever. Rewinding back to something that you were saying earlier about shifting from a candidate-driven market to a company recruiter-driven market almost overnight, have you seen a natural reduction in average salaries for the same position in the last number of weeks? Mm-hmm. Like if we were to just take an example, um, you know, social media manager making pro, uh, pre-COVID-19 $75,000 a year, is that same position now recruiting for 60000 or fifty five? I think right now companies are more the ones that are hiring, they're more concerned with getting the right person and knowing that there's availability of that person. They're not going to try and get it, you know, try to reduce their salary or get a deal. They're just going to try and find that person. If this continues though, and there's more layoffs and it does take, you know, longer for us to recover, at that point, people will start to realize that the salaries will go down because there will be people willing to do that job for less. What are these folks doing? Like just sticking on the social media manager for a sec. If that person has been laid off, are they taking their skill set to a place like Upwork or something to mm. that effect? I think so. I think if you have the the skill set to be able to do something digitally, like again, social media, graphic design, copywriting, even even you know software development, you're either taking the time and saying, you know what, I need a little bit of a break, or you're going right back into it. I think this is going to be an interesting time where people start companies as well. Mm-hmm. You know, during this time period, whether you're working or you're not. There's, there's a lot of wake-up calls that are going to happen for people, right? So if you have that side hustle that you wanted to start, or there was a podcast you wanted to start, or a book, or you know, there's other interests that you've never really pursued because you've always been so consumed with work. Well, right now, as work has shifted and maybe slowed down for some, if you don't pursue these things now, you're never going to pursue them. But I think definitely people are going to Upwork. They're, they're freelancing. And, and they're able to, you know, if you do the freelance route, you're able to you know, offer up your services at uh, a price point that you control and people still need the help. People still need the work. So there's lots of tools out there for people to pick up gigs. Just looking at your other services. So you do some employer branding stuff also. Yeah. And on that side of things, things are interesting, let's say. And I know you've talked about this before, but some companies are actually using this opportunity to flex a little bit. And I think that's rubbing some people the wrong way. People who use the word business as usual in their recruiting messages, people who use business as usual in their LinkedIn flex on their status about how their company's not changed by this and that they're, I, I think that's a, that's a bad flex. I think that's a bad choice of words because regardless of what anyone says, it's not business as usual. It can't be. A lot of people have posted you know, their COVID-19 responses and what they're doing as a company, which I think is really great. But what the, what the world wants, what the individual wants right now is the compassion, the empathy, and the understanding in the messages that are shared. And I think when you just say, hey, this may have happened to you, but we're, we're business as usual. If you want to come work for us, we're still hiring. I don't know. I feel like you miss, you miss a huge opportunity there to, to come across a little bit more compassionately for others. Agreed. And as you pointed out, nobody has navigated a global pandemic. For sure. We see it in the I see it in the recruiting agency space sometimes too. Um, there's like you know there's like recruiting agencies like when you're in agency recruitment, it's arguably the most saturated and the most competitive B two B space in the world because it's a relatively low barrier to entry. Anyone can technically do it, right? So what you do like if, if for example you wanted if I said I need an iOS engineer 
And, and I was like, here you go, Adam, you know, help me find this. You might go on LinkedIn, search iOS engineer. You might find someone who just so happens to be the perfect hire. They might've just got laid off. They answer your message. You go, oh, great. You send them to me. They happen to be great. I hired them. Now you're a recruiter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you do, anyone can technically do, how you do it is what separates you. And this, the saturation of the recruiting agency world, there's a lot of flexing going on on LinkedIn about like, hey, I've got all these jobs that I'm recruiting for, which may or may not be true. Hey, our business hasn't changed, may or may not be true, probably not true. I've seen some people switch their models overnight. Some people who are in the permanent full-time senior level space just switched and now they're doing frontline hourly or contract or temp uh, workers because that's where an opportunity is. But yeah, I think the flex goes, like I think uh, bottom line, people shouldn't be flexing uh, in, in this, uh, in this world, especially on LinkedIn. And I think social media as a whole is going to change. Are influencers going to share the same kind of content? And is, is that going to be well-received? Like if you're taking a private jet, um, and you've got a bunch of designer bags with you and you're flying to a remote Island. I think that that's a good point. I think that's a great point. I mean, you're, you're seeing that change happen in real time. And I think the nature of status and the nature of quote unquote, uh, success is going to change beyond this in the influencer space. And I think there was a story recently published in Vanity Fair about Ariel Charnis, who I think goes by something Navy on Instagram. Did you see? Oh, yeah. Did you see that story? I did see that. It was it was something along the lines of like, is the influencer? Yeah, is uh, is, is the, the influencer, influencer dead or something? Dead or- she actually came down with with COVID nineteen. Um, so that's how oh. this all started. And, you know, there are some very questionable things like she paid to get a COVID test done privately and then moved to the Hamptons when she should have been in quarantine or in self-isolation. Uh, she was unboxing Louis Vuitton bags um, and posting all this. And there's more. There's more to the story. Um, I don't follow her. I'm not a big Instagram person. But to your point, I think, you know, what we deem as quote unquote success or status uh, or what resonates with people is going to change at the end of this. If you take that, if you bring that same kind of concept back into like the professional world, the LinkedIn world, an interesting flex that people have had as a company is headcount, right? Number huh. of employees has hmm. been a, a kind of a status symbol for a lot of people, I think. And then, you know, the bigger your company is, the more perceived successful it might be. That might change as well. Because now what you might realize is you didn't need as many employees as you, as you had before. If you realize efficiencies, if you realize productivity and efficiencies in this landscape, you know, and you have eight people in your marketing department, and you laid off four of them, but the, nothing really changes in the marketing department, you might not hire back those four people because you might realize that of the other four, they had complementary skill sets that can get the job done. I'll share one more story about that on that point in the, in the manufacturing space. And some challenges, I think, with absenteeism. Because you know you have obviously this pandemic going on, you have these very you have these very essential frontline workers in the food manufacturing environment that have to work on it because we need the like you know the world needs the food, but there's people that work there that that are that don't want to go to work because they don't want to you know their families at home they they don't want to go to work potentially come back and contaminate their family, which is totally understandable. Um, and so what you're seeing in some of these manufacturing environments is maybe they had two people on this line on this shift. And just right now, they're just working with the one who's who's coming into work every day. Maybe that other person's not. They realize that there's some efficiency with that one person working on that line. And they decide, okay, interesting. We're going to pay this person a couple more dollars an hour. And maybe when this all comes back online, we don't need the two people. 
but we can pay this person more money and still realize efficiencies and our cost of goods sold. To your point, you might see some of the biggest tech names uh, in the next 10 years have less than 20 people. For sure. Actually, that's again, I, I come back to that, that story I shared with you about, about Jack Ma from Alibaba saying the future work is going to be three days a week, four hours. Mm-hmm. He, another point that he said is a big company in the future is going to be about 20 to 30 people. Because of like, when you think about a digital company, I have, a, I have a, some friends that have like a three person company that does, you know, five to $10 million in revenue and they're fully digital. Wow. Software. Yeah. That is cool. Uh, obviously lots of Shopify stores uh, are doing millions of dollars in revenue and oftentimes they're run out of someone's basement. If you can do your job with a phone and a laptop, I think if you are disciplined enough to be able to do the work at a high level. You should be allowed to take advantage of the fact that you can do your work from a phone and laptop. So if work from home's a thing, your company should empower you to go if, as long as it's the same time zone and all that kind of stuff. But if you always wanted to, you know, work on a beach in Mexico and just see what that experience would be like and you wanted to try it out for three months, if you're working from home in COVID-19 and it works well, you should be able to do that. You know, I think that that's something that people should be empowered with in the future. How has your personal routine changed? over all this. And at the very beginning of the show, I think you were talking about news consumption. So let's start there. How much news are you consuming and what else are you doing with your day? I would say too much news. I'm definitely consumed, like my, my consumption of news is definitely way too much. So I'm trying to nail the, the work from home routine. When I started Jagger in Vancouver, I started it out of my condo, which was, uh, I had a little den, so I had a little office space and it was like heavy cold calling, heavy um, outbound business development, building a company from scratch. I struggled probably about, I'd say about six months in because I was grinding so hard. And so I would work from 8 a.m. till you know 10 or 11 p.m. Not straight, but that would be my kind of working hours, but you would never have a start and an end. And I think that's been one thing that I've really implemented with this version of working from home. It's just compartmentalizing my day. So if, uh, if it doesn't have to be time bound, it's like I might do a chunk of work I might read, read and do some personal development. I've been doing some online workouts. I don't have any um, weights or anything like that. So I'm just doing body weight stuff, trying to stay active mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, just trying to keep healthy. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to discuss before we wrap up? Hopefully what this does in the long-term effect of our society is it does bring us closer together. It does make us more collaborative and more united and we care more for that stranger or care more for you know our neighbors because we are all in this together. And when there is something like the coronavirus or COVID-19 that's, that, has, that knows no race, knows no gender, knows no borders, we actually do have to come together to beat it. So hopefully, you know, people, people are reminded of that when we maybe get back to normal and, and hopefully that makes us more connected as a result. Great last words. Um, appreciate that perspective. Jagger at hellojagger.com. They can find you online. Where else would you like to connect with people? I'm I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so J J Berard J A Y B E R A R D. Uh, I like to share a lot of content there, videos and articles, and I love when people um, engage with that. But yeah, email is uh, J Berard at hellojagger.com. And if anyone ever wants to t- talk about anything careers related, you know, feel free to reach out directly. I'm happy to chat with whoever. And wishing you and your company well as you guys navigate through this uh, pandemic. And it's a challenging time for everybody. So obviously hoping for the best for you and everyone who's listening.
Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid. Electric acid.